0: Hello again and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, our virtual church classroom podcast Bible study that meets each week here in the world of the internet. It's presented to you by Shiloh United Methodist Church and yours truly, Pastor Dan, with some great help from my daughter Bethany. We come together for this study each week to learn what is on the heart and mind of our God and to have our hearts and minds changed by our God. That's the primary objective. As we study the book of Revelation together, we're looking at it at its face value. We're trying not to interpret it into our times today as much as to just learn the word of God, to hear the voice of God, to get into the heart and mind of God. That sounds redundant, but that's our purpose, and we stick to it. Uh, Looking forward to this week's study with you. This week we will pick up at Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. This is episode 14, recorded on July the 8th, 2018. This week's psalm reading is Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Is a psalm of David. It's a short one. David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken.
1: what is right who speaks the truth in his heart
0: Almighty God, we come together today, as always, in your holy name, seeking to know you with our hearts and minds. We ask you, Lord, to enhance our time together by the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to see you and hear you more clearly, to understand you more completely, so that our hearts and minds might be changed too. Lord, as we enter into this study of revelation, we are looking forward to the time of your deliverance. We're looking forward to a time... When all our suffering and all our sorrow and all our grief will be of no consequence. When you will be fulfilled in your glory and we will sing your praises. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks and praise this day. Amen. Well, we begin again with our study of uh, Revelation chapter 4, and uh, the funny thing is, is if you're listening to these in real time, that is, you get the download each week as soon as we drop it, well, then you know it's been about three weeks since we've dropped one. (laughs) And uh, we, we told you that it was because we were vacationing, and that is true, and we had a lovely vacation time, which was for us basically just a time to relax and uh, to to uh, rejuvenate. We didn't really do anything special, uh, had a few special outings and things and visited some family and so forth. But, but then came back to work, got our life plan in order, and then had a family medical crisis. One of our family became very sick and needed some really intensive treatment. And uh, so today... While we're recording this, we're feeling this sort of weird disconnect that comes when you have to revisit something that you've stepped away from for a little while. Now, those of you who listen to this in posterity someday, well, you'll just go from one episode to the next and never know how much time lapsed between... Episodes.
2: Except for the part where you just told them how much time lapsed between episodes.
0: Well, you know, but this is why I said this, because <laughs> this, for the Bible scholar, this is an important truth to keep in mind. Um, in one simple sentence in the book of Exodus, there is a statement that says, 400 years went by, yeah. <laughs> and then things weren't so good for Israel well 400 years went by is a short sentence that represents a very long period of time
2: it's older than the united states
0: so yeah and so in reality what we're describing here um is the same kind of thing you know you you can experience bible study having uh, gone through the same process where where you study scripture and you think well gee, you know, one day they're this way and the next way they're that way, and and time becomes an interesting factor in Bible study. So in our own way, we're sort of demonstrating the reality that uh, is represented in tying things together that are separated by spans of time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you heard Bethany's voice there. That's my wonderful partner in crime and my beautiful daughter who intelligently helps us to Interpret the book of Revelation and uh, helps me to stay on target and track uh, with my discussion. So uh, it's good to have you here in the GHM studio live again, Bethany. Uh, we were reading chapter four mm-hmm. of Revelation the last time we got together. We were. And I asked you a little while ago, I said, now do you remember exactly where we left off? And you said, I think we were talking about. We
2: were going to talk about the four living creatures, I yeah. think, because I know I wanted to discuss them and we hadn't gotten there yet.
0: Now, I suppose if we were real pros, we would have listened to the last episode that so that we could do this idea, seamlessly, but, you We're know, not
2: very seamless. That's
0: nah, all right. So I think maybe the first thing we should do, and I'm wondering if you would do the honors, is to read uh, chapter four again. It's not very long, and then we can sort of pick up where we left off okay would you do the honors please
2: I yes I will do that so chapter 4 after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and carnelian a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come.
0: as I was listening and reading along with you, I know that in our previous discussion, we got all the way down to the crystal sea. Yes, we talked a
2: lot about that so
0: you're right. I think we did leave off right there. I have to come back to one thing from from the last episode we were I joked about Jasper, our community that we live in, being in the Bible. Well, while we were on vacation, your mother, mm-hmm. my bride. Read to us from a history of Southern Indiana that Jasper is in fact named, named for, for this
2: Jasper. For this
0: Jasper. Yeah, I that, thought that uh, was really cool. You know that it's actually uh, Jasper, Indiana, really is named for the Jasper mentioned in this Book of Revelation. So who knew? Yeah. You know, but uh, now we we can say with absolute confidence. Well, at least as confident as we can be in one person's history of Indiana. Uh, Because communities have their kind of legends Mm -hmm. and lore. But anyway, Jasper's in the Bible. It's a
2: nice story, though.
0: Yeah. So, we'll stick with it. Yep. (laughs) So, in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Now, that's creepy sounding.
2: I don't know when I... (laughs) When I hear it, I picture some kind of like Jim Henson creature, and I don't think that sounds scary.
0: Okay, <laughs> oh, sorry. You know, what I picture is the demon of all flies. Oh, well, you know,
2: <laughs> I guess or a spider. Just you know, go a, little, a little differently there. You like, know what? I don't picture spiders because I don't need those images in my brain. I
0: know because you're a spider hater. Well, I'm not I'm, a
2: spider hater.
0: I'm not a spider lover, but I gotta say, you know, the only thing I can think of that has a lot of eyes on its head is a spider.
2: I just picture some kind of really cute Jim Henson Muppet.
0: Now, at the risk of of uh, sounding irreligious and everything, I've gone ahead and put that out there that that to the non-believer, this is a description of something completely otherworldly and strange and downright bizarre, um, you know is it symbolic does does this literally mean that these creatures have eyes all over them Uh, you know they have uh they have they're covered with eyes um in front and in back and the first living creature is like a lion the second one like an ox the third had a face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped. So here's here's what I think, and quite seriously. um, We have to keep in mind that throughout this reading of Revelation, we've had John trying to describe things that are otherworldly in a way. They are beyond his current knowledge, you Mm -hmm. know, like, There are some things he will describe that we will recognize because by the time we arrive on the human scene, we have history with certain things that would adequately suffice as the thing he's describing, which given the fact that he's describing a future that he has seen without the knowledge of the things he's seeing, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So he could be describing a helicopter at some point in the Revelation. He could be describing an army tank at some point in the Revelation. Daniel, in uh, in his uh, uh, letters and his his book, you know, has described things that we could look at now and go, oh, well, that sounds like military hardware. So so, yeah, I mean, that happens. But then there's this other thing, too. There's this reality that everything is brighter. Mm-hmm. Everything is louder. You know, the voice that speaks to him sounds like a trumpet blast. Um, it's almost as though in this space, outside of our time and space, everything's amplified.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's got to be like sense sensory uh, overload yeah. for, for John. And um, I don't know what cherubim wear when they go to the throne room of god but if it had sequins all over it
2: well that was where i was going with it too. right
0: and yeah. he's already in a situation where his eyes are barely able to grasp the brightness of the room yeah. he sees a floor that looks like crystal clear glass to him we don't really know for sure what that is well, but you know, everything he sees and hears is exaggerated in his perception. And so why not imagine that they're not really covered with eyeballs. Mm-hmm. But he's describing something that looks like an eye.
2: I was thinking about like cut stone, like like diamond. Yeah. Diamond is super, like I wouldn't be surprised if they could have diamond armor on or something. Because it's well, super, sure. super strong. Um, it's a really solid stone. And when when diamond is cut and faceted... When you look at something through it, you see multiples. Yeah. So I could see like really shiny. Well, you know, it'd be like looking up
0: at a crystal chandelier. Right. Yeah. It'd be like that.
2: And and I have this feeling that the cherubim, the seraphim, have some pretty swank armor. Well, they are like knights on steroids.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when the the lore of the angels, you know, and I, I use that word hesitantly, but. But what you know about angels, you have to gather from all over mm-hmm. Scripture. But what becomes clear in, in, uh, in history, uh, biblical history, is that, that these are the cherubim. Yeah. These are the same guys that were put in charge of guarding the gates of Eden.
2: Yeah, and I, we touched on it, I think, before. But I think one of the things that has happened because of popular culture is that even even people who are schooled in the Bible still have trouble disconnecting the image of angels that's in pop culture from right. angels in the bible so when you read the four living creatures i think it's hard to to think that they're not any they're they're anything other than creatures right but i happen to think that cherubim probably could appear in a lot of different forms and mm-hmm. and it makes sense for them to be at around the surrounding the throne yeah that's the part the surrounding the throne part is the part that makes me think they're probably cherubim because they're like, like I said, they're like knights on steroids. They're bodyguards. They're they're like
0: well, the toughest
2: of the tough of the tough.
0: We're talking about our God and creator. And a logical question that any child would ask is, is so where was, what was going on with God before people came mm-hmm. on the scene? Yeah in the beginning the world was chaos and god breathed life into the man and yada 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 we know that story from from genesis and yet the logical question is so what was going on before that you know before god brought order to the chaos well again the scripture throughout gives us hints that harken back to the time before eden and before the creation of 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 the adam or the humanity and Uh, you begin to understand that that uh, the angels are um, a particular uh, species that God has created and um, there's evidence in Scripture that they really don't have their own will in the same way that we do. The humanity is unique because we're given the freedom of will that is unique in all of God's creation and uh, they're Purpose and their processes are totally different from anything we can imagine. Um, they may not appear that differently from us, but they certainly could be very different from us. Um, there again, there are hints of a sort of supernatural, and and that's another word that kind of has been you know changed by popular culture. But but to just simply use the word supernatural is to say. The things we understand and comprehend that are within our ability to perceive are the natural things. Mm-hmm. And supernatural is anything outside of what is natural. And so in the supernatural realm, what we're talking about is um, a, a sort of heavenly, uh, other than our worldly uh, society and there was discord in that society there was a dissent that was led by a particular angel named lucifer and he would become known as satan or the satan the accuser and uh and there would be a third of the heavenly host that would go with him so so there was a willfulness that apparently happened among mm-hmm. the heavenly host and and this is where we get this sort of conflict between good and evil or conflict between god and satan and and uh, so this is this is kind of how all of this comes together Mm -hmm. and this is an important thing to remember right now because um, Satan is very powerful Uh, not more powerful than God but certainly very powerful and um, I guess there were super angels who were like the cherubim but then there are certain like archangels like like Michael Mm -hmm. is the one we always think of Um, but satan was an archangel or lucifer was an archangel and these guys are like uh you know second only to god you know so these are really superior angels Mm -hmm. and uh so we are sort of talking about something that that is sort of mysterious and amazing and you know you're talking about jim henson creatures um I was you know I'm, I'm a big fan of c.s Lewis, and I've really kind of revived my interest in his stuff lately and started rereading and and uh, one of the things that's really interesting about his conversion experience is that that he had to be able to reconcile the legends of the various cultures. He particularly liked uh, uh, like Norse
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, legends and stuff like that. So he loved the whole Thor and Valhalla and all that jazz but but what's really interesting is that he he basically came to the conclusion that all of this was of God in one way or another because God was using these various stories in order to get people to think about God. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 his understanding of these different legends among the peoples was that that they weren't opposed to him. They were another way to reveal him. And that the most important thing was not that they would believe those legends were the absolute truth, but to use those legends to obtain the absolute truth. So, mm-hmm. so in effect, Lewis is describing his own journey. He moves from these mystical images and these various stories and legends of history of the various societies. And he says, okay, all of this is really cool, but there's only one that's true, you know, and that's sort of my very brief interpretation of Lewis. And so the point I want to make is, is that, that it's okay that we can imagine and probably should imagine some pretty outrageously different from what we're understanding things you know that when we picture what john is seeing in heaven it probably is pretty far out you know and cherubim are super tough
2: i think i'd be a little scared
0: um in fact i I keep thinking about the thor movies and and uh and that guy Heimdall. heimdall you know who's basically standing in front of the portal and and I'm thinking, imagine two Heimdels on either side of the gates of paradise.
2: You're gonna whip out that giant sword and
3: just
0: and, and you you know that it. is what we should have in mind when mm-hmm. we imagine a cherubim.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of my perspective about things that happen events in the Bible changed when I really started to ignore the whole like fluffy angel fluffy wings and yeah. like and start picturing them like a Heimdel or like a yeah. scary awesome knight. Yeah. It changes a lot, like, because when people have appearances, when angels appear to them, then it's like, oh, no wonder they were, like... Yeah, About to wet themselves.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And also,
2: you brought up Satan, and I think that that's... um, That goes with the living creatures thing, because his first appearance in Genesis, he is not a man. Like, when Satan shows up the first time he's a a, critter
0: he's a critter and and uh oh i'm not ready to do that one right (laughs) now but there was a word that i researched and studied that what he is in he's described as a serpent in the uh uh, book of genesis and the serpents that are described in the story of moses and pharaohs uh witch doctors or whatever you know his wizards Mm -hmm. and, and uh but there's a certain appearance of the word serpent that comes up in scripture, but it isn't the same word for snake. Yeah. It's a unique word and it's like necro, 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 something or other, I gotta and go I back to my the notes.
2: But, but it's the point describing snakes get a really bad rap and they're actually okay.
0: Yeah, the serpent that visited them in the Garden of Eden was actually closer to a dragon. Yeah,
2: which and also you know, makes sense.
0: So, so dragons probably have more likeness to Satan's appearance. So people need
2: to lay off of snakes.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you spoke your piece on that. I (laughs) did. You know, I'm still not letting you have a pet snake in in this house. Um, You can play with it outside if you want. I just don't
2: think it's fair that they get such a bad rap.
0: So the four living creatures... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are probably not covered in eyeballs, but are probably wearing some kind of armor. And, and yeah. in fact, like chainmail. Yeah, it would uh, all blend in the, like that. What do they call the armor that's kind of like flakes? Uh, you know, like you know, what I'm talking about. They, there's a certain. It's not chainmail, but it's like chainmail because it's it's thousands of I, little pieces of metal.
2: I don't know what you're talking about. The word like for scales, that. but. Uh, <laughs> One of Mr. Lewis's BFFs wrote another really awesome book series. Yes, Mr. And there's, Tolkien. Yes, who's one of my personal heroes, also. Right. Um, and there's a type of chainmail in that book called Mithril. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's it's not chain. There's a type of chainmail that someone has that's made of this Mithril, and it's like super hard, diamond tough, but it's yeah. chainmail, and it's very shiny and glinty. Yeah. And I was kind of picturing Mithril actually as the kind of armor that like. Because it would, it would look sparkly and like faceted, yeah. like a
0: prism. So I, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go so. with this is some kind of garment.
2: But I also kind of like the metaphorical approach to them having eyes everywhere. Because I picture the cherubim being like eyes in the back of their, like, like moms or like teachers who are like, yeah. I know you're doing that.
0: Well, I mean, you know, if I was going <laughs> to have somebody guard me 24-7, I would prefer somebody with eyes all over right. them. Eyes in know, the back
2: of their head,
3: yeah. So they don't
0: miss anything. But but I think as far as the appearance goes, what he's describing, yeah, um, it's probably a little otherworldly, but it's also probably just something really basic like a garment that mm-hmm. they're wearing. And then one of them looks like a lion, and the other one looks like an ox, and the third one has a face like a man and the fourth has uh, looks like a flying eagle and i find this interesting because as you said um are we looking at shape-shifting um and are we looking at something that he visualizes again i i wonder if it isn't something more along the lines of armor again that Mm -hmm. that uh Um, And again, I I don't want to oversimplify this. And and the one thing I would say, well, no, I I realize now I was about to correct myself because I was imagining uh, that somehow we were reading it through the mind of like medieval imagery. But the truth is, is that in John's day, battles were won by people in armor Mm -hmm. and some armor is practical in nature and some is symbolic in nature Uh, you, you have certain types of armor where the wearer has a unique headpiece because it's a way to identify a leader, for example, or to terrify an enemy. So another way you could look at this is, is that each of these guys is wearing particular garment that represents their particular role in God's heavenly realm. And so if these are gods like, um, uh, uh, I just went blank. Um, the president has Secret uh, Service. No, I'm talking about the the uh the generals that at the Pentagon who work for the president and I just went blank. The 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 uh anyway like his
2: war council like Yeah
0: but there's a word for it. Um I don't military advisors anyway. Um not that I imagine God needs military advice, but let's just imagine that standing around God's throne it's like
2: King Arthur and the Round Table. Yeah,
0: e- Each each is different from the other, but they're all standing there honoring God as they prepare to go and fight the battles mm-hmm. that God... And, and there's the thing right there. Um, the greatest soldiers are the ones who hate war. Mm-hmm. And the greatest generals are the ones who fight to win. And uh, this is a bit of an opinion of mine, but it's also backed up by history is is you know General Sherman for example will forever be hated in the history of the South because he burned his way all the way to the seashore but he also brought an end to the war uh, with a lot of help I mean you know but but generally speaking when when the North finally got generals who tried to win instead of trying to be gentlemen and play some sort of social games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, the social games cost way more lives than generals who fight to win. Mm-hmm. And so without going off on a tangent, it's just that I'm a history person. And mm-hmm. what I've learned is is that the greatest generals are the ones who fight decisively, greatest admirals, greatest commanders. And is when a war has to be fought, you want somebody who fights to win. Mm-hmm. And that person is going to be decisive. That person's going to be uh, going to going to act with incredible uh force and 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 determination and the idea is bring an end to this bring an end so that we can go home Mm -hmm. and so that your people can be rid of whoever it is that's leading them in the wrong direction you know because the victor gets to decide that the loser's wrong i mean that's so so going all the way back here to this this uh throne room here is the the uh the generals so to speak um gathered around the throne saying to you know each other and before god this is the one we fight for and this is why we fight because he is holy Mm -hmm. and he is the god almighty and he is the one who was and is and ever will be and you know um I don't mean to suggest that God has to hear this. You know, I don't suppose God needs anything in the sense. But it's also sort of something you say when someone else has made a similar claim. You know what I mean? Like like one of the reasons that the most powerful uh, angels are, you know, praising God and calling God the Holy One and the One and Only and everything... Might be because they're declaring their loyalty exactly. to God and saying, we, "Somebody we didn't go
2: with the other guy."
0: Yeah, somebody else may have made this claim, but we're not with them.
2: Yeah,
0: and and well, who do you want leading your battles against the enemy? Mm-hmm. You want somebody who is completely devoted to the cause, and uh, and they were giving glory and honor and thanks to the one on the throne.
2: So. I'm gonna interject no it's okay you know, okay so one thing that I was noticing about the um descriptions of each one upon an, like another reading is the sentence structure mm-hmm so it says the first living creature was like a lion and then it goes on in in the same pattern yes that is a metaphor yeah like like because not he says even, like. Yeah, not even... Because ju- I know some people will take the Bible more literally and some will read it more metaphorically. This isn't me choosing one or the other. That's me reading right. grammar and that is that is a metaphor. Which to me means that there's something about that, right. that creature that makes him think of a lion. It might not even be that he... like He might not have a face like a lion. He might not have a, a lion symbol. But there's something about how he's standing how, what he's doing that makes him think of a lion makes him think of a strong ox makes him think of a man
0: that's great because
2: it's a metaphor
0: no i think so it could you be
2: shape-shifting it. but i think it also is probably more likely that there's something about their characterization so it's almost like personification too like mm-hmm. there's something about them and i'm going to give them the qualities of this thing Yeah. Because they seem like, like, maybe there's something about the way the one guy, maybe he's just, like, super built and strong like an ox.
0: Yeah. That Um, makes sense.
2: So, and then the other thing that I was noticing is another grammatical thing. Um, I was noticing it when I read the whole chapter. When you read the whole chapter, it's in past tense right up until holy, holy, holy. Yeah. And then the rest of the chapter is present.
0: Very good. Which
2: I think is fascinating because they're talking about the one who lives forever and ever.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, I like that. That's very good insight. I'm I'm rather impressed. But then, no, I'm not because you do what, you're doing what you always do. Now, what's interesting is I, want, I went ahead and just jumped ahead to chapter five. I don't want to start studying that now. This one is the chapter that starts describing the scroll and the mm-hmm. lamb. And there's a very logical pro- progression here. But uh, immediately after that, uh, the one who's on the throne introduces the scroll, and the introduction of the scroll is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But what I think is is happening in this scene that we've been describing with the um, uh, with the four living creatures is is kind of a uh, it's it's the <sighs> Man, I don't know why I can't get my terms to come together right now. Yeah, I do. It's been a rough week, but this is the um, uh, this is this is this is what happens right before you go to war. I mean, like I don't know how else to describe it. Like in the movies, you know, the night before the big battle, you know. Uh, they get really worked up, you know, the Indians dance around the fire and yeah. and paint themselves and everything and, and
2: it kind of makes you curious about whether all of those people are always in the throne room.
0: Yeah, or yeah, whether
2: they're there because things are about to go down.
0: Well, and that's the impression I get yeah. is, is, uh, is that there's a um, uh, This is not a typical day in the throne room of God. This is the day before the scroll gets opened and the final battle, mm-hmm. the final, and maybe battle's not the right word, and that's because I know what comes next. But, but I mean, you know, this is this is a momentous occasion. And, in fact, maybe after the death and resurrection of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, I mean, in human history, in creation history, this is the next most momentous event. Mm-hmm ever Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of ceremony there's a lot of of holiness and sacredness about it i mean if people went into things like marriage for example uh taking it as seriously as they should then the night before they would not be partying and getting drunk and having a i'm almost hitched party they might actually take the approach that what they're about to enter into is a very solemn and sacred covenant. Mm -hmm. And they might spend the night before sort of trying to emotionally and spiritually prepare themselves for it. Now, I apologize if anybody out there, I'm speaking in my own way metaphorically. You don't go into, you know, I don't imagine that the tens of thousands of soldiers and sailors who are on the ships approaching the coast of France on June 6th You know we're thinking uh, you know boy I would like to have a party right now they were mentally preparing themselves for a pivotal battle Mm -hmm. the understanding was is if we invade France and put feet on the ground in Europe uh, this is going to be the push to Berlin that brings an end to the war with the Nazis Mm -hmm. and and there's not a person that's involved in this battle that isn't anticipating death destruction and also playing a role in one of the most significant events in modern history. Mm-hmm. And and so nobody ever goes into something like that. You know, the astronauts who go up in the spacecraft and launch themselves into space, they don't spend the day before or the hours before, you know, being silly and frivolous. They are mentally and emotionally preparing. They're checking and rechecking and... And I, you know, so I, and I could, I come up with a hundred analogies for that. But when you have time to anticipate, you know, when somebody says T minus five hours and counting to whatever the event is, there is this time of preparation, this time of, of emotional and mental and spiritual preparation. Um, There's this time of, of, you know, the general's. And the, the uh, captains and the commanders all sort of trying to communicate down through the line the significance of this event and the absolute essential nature of, of victory and, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I, so all of that to say, this is that and more than we can comprehend. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like is going mm-hmm. on with this four living creatures these guys are getting ready to take the troops mm-hmm. you know and i you mentioned tolkien's um lord of the rings trilogy and and uh i gotta say they really capture that in in yeah. that story that yeah. tolkien really captures that whole sort of you know epic battle and night, night before the epic battle and all of that i was
2: thinking this is like like, everybody gathering is kind of like the Council of Elrond when you were talking. Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody from all the realms comes to try and figure out what they're going to do with this ring, and then they take care of business.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and it's uh, it's really momentous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I wish I could get our listeners to imagine what I'm feeling right now as I think about this, but it's momentous. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to describe something that is the most momentous yeah. thing.
2: There's a sense, I would think that there'd be like a, a very real sense of like things are, nothing is ever going to be the same as it was today, tomorrow. Yeah. Because that makes like, those were weird, uh, that was a weird way to smash words together. But what I meant is like, they're, they're there and they're thinking like, as of this time tomorrow, yeah, the world as we know it is completely changed yeah yeah exactly. and it's never going back to the way it was
0: (laughs) thanks for bumping (laughs) your microphone so 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 you're always well it's funny because you're always telling the listeners that if they could just see your hand gestures (laughs) well they sort of felt one just then you know some poor person who's mowing their lawn because that's what i do when i'm listening to these things is probably just rip their headphones off like
2: ah sorry Ah.
0: anyway that's funny well, so, what else can we say about this? I don't know that there's much more um
2: well, I just like I, I I said i when I was rereading it earlier, I thought, man, it's super cool that like within the last i don't know five four or five verses, he's describing all this stuff, and then suddenly it's present tense and I yeah. just, that's fast I think that's really interesting because that's a structural thing mm-hmm. and and it's present tense as soon as he starts describing how they are describing the person on the throne yeah and i i just think that's really cool i like the i I told you this book is awesome the way it's written and that's oh yeah that's an that's why i think it's awesome because that's liter like the the literary yes portion of it is super that's
0: well, and you know, it's in, really cool. at seminary, they would teach us that this is what we call literary criticism, yeah. you know, which, which by the way, in, in seminaries, when they teach you to do Bible critiquing, it's not the same as criticizing it. Like mm-hmm. you're an ugly book, you know, no. it's, it's
2: just,
0: you know, it's, it's a kind of study. <laughs> but and, I, and I
2: guess the part I think that's cool is that we, we pretty well know that he, like he went, he wrote all of this down after his vision. So he like right like he came yeah back yeah to Patmos and he wrote down everything that he had seen like everything that had happened because that's what Jesus told him to do right write down what you've seen and so the part I think is cool is he would be writing in past tense because it had already, like he'd already seen it, and it yeah yeah but something in him can't help but write about God in present tense anyway
0: yeah and, and I think and that's pretty awesome as you were saying that earlier and again now I it's funny because my mind is drawn irresistibly back to what we were talking about back in the early stages of this which is the reality that once he steps outside of time Mm -hmm. and space as he knows it he is witnessing the real thing yeah well so here's a real mind bender he's describing the war council the generals getting ready to go the cherubim getting ready to to you know they're they're giving glory to god they're mentally and emotionally preparing themselves spiritually preparing themselves um for this momentous joint chiefs joint chiefs is
2: that what it's called chiefs of staff the joints the the joint Joint chiefs Chiefs of staff we got there hey
0: thank you people (laughs) so that's what i was looking for And, and in reality um He's describing it as though he witnessed it Mm -hmm. happening. And here's where the mind-bending part comes. Is is he, because they're outside of space and time, this thing's happening. Is it happening now? Has it already happened? Is it getting ready to happen? We really can't know for sure. And if it
2: hasn't happened yet, it's already happened to John, though. Because
0: he's witnessed it. It's just
2: great.
0: Yeah, because he's witnessed it as he will wobbly, witness
2: wobbly,
0: you got it exactly because he's going to witness a lot more mm-hmm. and tell us about mm-hmm. it and yet it hasn't happened yet and yet he's witnessed it which means he's moved ahead in time to a point we haven't reached yet because we're on a linear time and he sort of leapfrogged it yeah. by going into this place outside of time and space and and then stepping out on the balcony, so to speak, and looking down somewhere in the future. So so our time on earth is limited to a linear perspective. And yet, when you enter into God's time or timelessness, then everything's happening at once and everything's not happening mm-hmm. at once. I, that's cool. Which and makes
2: that even more delightful to me then because even with all of the weird time stuff... Praising God is always in the present, apparently.
0: Ah, uh, I like it. And you know that's a great place to end. That really is. I mean, what a perfect thing to say. Uh, so, folks, keep praising God in the real and now. Because when you do, you'll be doing it with the angels. hmm And uh, that's pretty awesome. The
2: really awesome, cool angels. Yeah.
0: Not that those others aren't great.
2: Right, but I'm saying not the fluffy...
0: <laughs> the awesome real the awesome
2: scary night angels
0: and you know i'm going to i'm going to say something now uh, you know i was on a, i was on the verge of ending on a high note now i'm going to end on a low note some of you are going to be very unhappy with me for saying this but if you'll do your homework you're going to find out i'm right about this but when we die we don't become angels <laughs> i like clarence from it's a wonderful life as much as you do i like michael landon Touched by an angel uh, with, what's her name, Um, Mm. the Irish girl. Mm -hmm. Um, I like all of these angel stories where people die and then they come back as angels. But that's just not true. The Bible doesn't say that we come back as angels or when we die, we become angels. We certainly become spiritual beings known to God and to each other. And all of that, self-aware, everything about who we are is still there when we die in a spiritual form, but we're not angels. Angels are beings that were created uniquely by God to be angels. I think I'm
2: okay with that. I think I'd rather just be best friends with one of those guys.
0: Well, yeah, me too. So... So I'm sorry if that's something you've always wanted to believe. You can certainly believe that your beloved dear ones who have died and gone to heaven are in some form or another, like the angels, in that they're eternal
3: mm-hmm. and
0: spiritual and real. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that the angels we're describing in the book of Revelation and those who have died are not in the same club. They're not uh, even the same you know, species.
2: Different species.
0: So, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope that isn't too offensive to some of you, but, but uh, we love you, and for that, s- for that reason, we tell you the truth as we know it. So, thanks, Bethany, for another great week. Uh, let's hope that between now and our next recording, it's a quieter, more sedate week.
2: Yes, if you'd like to you pray know. for us, yeah. that would be the prayer we would, we would ask for. Keep
0: our family in your prayers. Peaceful week. Bethany <laughs> needs your prayers in certain ways. I do. My whole family does. And yet we're not begging and we're not feeling sorry for ourselves. Nope. We just covet your prayers just as we pray for you. So okay. for now, God bless you. And uh, Bethany, you got anything else you want to say except goodbye? No,
2: nope. talk to you next week.
0: All right, folks. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs> You can learn more about me, Pastor Dan, and Shiloh United Methodist Church by visiting shilohum.org, shilohu M.org. We'd be glad to visit with you. Don't forget, you can come to the Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. Uh, The easiest way is just use the link that you see on this uh, podcast description. But uh, you can also search for us on Facebook. We'd be glad to interact with you there. God bless you. Goodbye.